Have you ever wondered how a company is able to offer unlimited time off or be a pet-friendly office? Curious how HR leaders manage the well-being of remote or essential workforces? If so, you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Andrea Heron, Head of People for WebMD Health Services, and I'd like to welcome you to the HR Scoop. On this podcast, I talk with other HR leaders to explore the world of unique employee benefits and about the challenges of managing unique workforces, because well-being isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. On this fun episode of the HR Scoop, I talk with Aaron Hurst about how employees define purpose and fulfillment at work, his inspiration for building a peer coaching organization, the intersection of science and relationships, and what he has in common with Hammer and Hank. So welcome, Aaron. Ah, so much fun to be here. So among all of the other, you know, wonderful things that you've done, your bio mentions the purpose economy. And I thought that was so interesting. And, you know, aside from the peer-to-peer coaching, which I'm sure we'll get into, you know, I really wanted to kind of kick it off and start there. Like, what is a purpose economy? What does that mean? (laughs) And how did you get involved in it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the purpose economy was the name of a book I published about 10 years ago, a little under 10 years ago. And my uncle, who was an economist at Stanford, had coined the term information economy back in the 70s. And as I was sort of in the last days of my time at uh, as the founder at and president of the Taproot Foundation, I started seeing changes in the overall macroeconomic sort of, I guess, overall economic trends happening that reminded me a lot of the ch- trends he saw that were leading us into the third economic era in history. So going from agrarian to industrial to information economy. And I think my hypothesis at the time was, you know, that we're entering a fourth economic era, a purpose economy, where our quest for well-being, our quest for meaning, um, our quest for you know mental health, these things would actually start to drive fundamental shifts in the economy that would actually be the dominant source of innovation, but also sort of the, the driving force of the workplace. And I think we've seen that absolutely come to fruition in the workplace in the last uh, two years. I think that's accelerated us even further into you know, a reality where we truly are in a, in a purpose economy. Yeah, I was about to say 10 years ago, did you have a crystal ball? And if so, what's 10 years from now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I see. I was just really lucky. Like I had the best job in the world at Taproot because I got to see working globally, working with heads of state, government, corporate executives, nonprofit leaders, foundation leaders, and then just thousands of professionals. So it was like a, like a huge focus group of like what people cared about. And I think I just had a really unique vantage point to see what was coming. 10 years from now, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. Well, we'll count on it. But that is fascinating. And I I guess that is a really unique perspective to kind of see all the different inputs from different levels and, you know, government and all the way down to individuals. I think that really has come to fruition. I mean, people care a lot about the types of work that they do and why. And for a long time, it didn't matter why. It mattered that you got a paycheck and you could you know, feed your family. And although that's still very important, I definitely think that the why has become increasingly critical, especially as the younger generations come in. Yep. No, it's been a fundamental, I think, if you look at it in a historic lens, like there's been a fundamental shift in the power of people in the workforce versus management and leadership. And I think what we've seen, which is in that tipping point, is in the last two years, um, within the context of, I think, especially knowledge workers, um, employees now have more power than management. Uh, then, you know, top priority for management is like retention, which puts employees in a position of actually stopping and thinking, what do I actually want? 
if I have this power, what do I want with it? And I think what we're seeing is when they're reflecting on it, you know, what they want is fulfillment. What they want are friends. What they want is to do work that matters. What they want is to grow. And I think what we had before was a management narrative about what work should be. Now we have a people narrative about what work should be for the first time because the people actually have the power. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put that. And I think you're right. And it's one of the reasons HR and the whole, you know, well-being industry has really shifted over the past couple years, especially, and even, you know, more so before that, um, because it is more than just a job. People expect a lot, you know, from getting involved in social things to, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, all sorts of things related to childcare and elder care and f- food security and um, recognition and well-being. And that's such a departure from where we were 50 years ago. Well, it's a departure. I think the science is just like there now in a way in which it wasn't. Like we you know, the work being done at Yale and Michigan, uh, Penn, just around psychology in the workplace has like helped us like actually understand what people need to be successful um, in a way that is data backed and scientifically proven. That I think is also just opening us up to new ways of thinking, of thinking about work um, and thinking about what is what is success and what actually drives productivity. So I think there's an it's an interesting moment where we just sort of have so much more scientific understanding of how we operate at work. And one of the things we found that I thought was really interesting, we do a study about every year on we call it the workforce purpose index, um, looking at purpose in either a specific region or globally around specific topics. And one of the things we found a few years ago was that of people who working who work full time, so people who are working you know in a full time job, those that are fulfilled in life, so they say overall like I am fulfilled in my life. Only 1% of them said, I'm not fulfilled at work. And I think that's such an important point because what it's basically saying is it's not an effective model to say, you know what, like work can suck. I will get those needs met elsewhere. Like that was the narrative and still is the narrative for a lot of people. What we're finding is statistically that's almost impossible. And that's because we now understand psychology and we understand neuroscience. And you can't just like shut parts of yourself off in different parts of the day that actually like these things all feed on each other. And it's so tied to mindset and it's so tied to environment and it's so tied to whether or not you're operating in sort of hope or fear overall in your life. So I think it's just more and more recognition that that old model is just BS. And it was something that was sold to basically make it okay to not make work meaningful for people because there was this assumption someone else would take care of that problem for you. And now we're saying like, that's actually not going to happen. So if you don't do it and aren't part of it, don't assume it's going to happen. Right. So it turns out we are the same person, no matter what work right? at home. And now the science backs it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you founded a few different companies at this point, yeah. and you've had a lot of experience and these really great insights. So I'm curious, kind of at what point in your journey did you see the need for, you know, the peer coaching services, which led to imperative, but kind of what was the the initial thought there that you're like, this could be something? Yeah. I think early on, I'd used coaching in my career early on. I was a manager, 30 people by the age of 23 in Silicon Valley and had no clue what I was doing. And luckily, the startup (laughs) invested in coaches if anybody wanted one. And I got so much out of it. And I remember having this aha moment of like, why why don't we provide this to everybody? But I recognized that economically, that wasn't viable, right? So ever since then, I'm sort of thinking about this question of like, how can you take coaching and look for what the processes are under it so that you could actually have individuals do it for each other. So you don't have to go out and spend two to five to $10,000 on a coach um, to provide a lot of the support that coaching provides. So 
early on, I sort of had that that moment of like, why isn't this something that everyone has access to? So that was sort of the first piece. The second one, you know, coming out of the Taproot Foundation, which was a nonprofit I started to engage people in pro bono work in marketing, tech, HR, finance, helping nonprofits. What we saw was that, yes, people wanted to do that because they wanted to do work that mattered. But more than anything else, they're just looking for some kind of outlet to make friends and to like actually build meaningful relationships and thought that being part of something where they could meet like-minded people who cared about the community, who are professionals would be you know, a great way to connect with people. And I think it's one of the things that's really misunderstood about purpose at work is that actually it's relationships that are the primary source of fulfillment for people at work. It's not the work itself. You can do work. It's not terribly fulfilling, but if you've got great relationships, um, it generally is going to you know compensate for that. So I think that was for the second piece. Like how do we scale coaching to make that available with this insight that actually, if we want to make all work fulfilling, the thing we have to fix first is fundamentally helping people build meaningful relationships. And what we've seen is that the majority of people don't have meaningful relationships at work. They don't know how to build them. They're scared to ask other people to uh, interact and like build a relationship. Um, we've got so many barriers. And then the pandemic and remote work made that even harder. So I think the this aha moment around um, the ability to actually use peers and to build relationships through the act of coaching. Because coaching is the act of actually being a good friend, which is not giving advice, um, it's listening, it's storytelling, and it's empathy, right? Like, that's what you want in a friend. And that's what coaching at its core is. And the nice thing about it is because it's not a paid coach, like, you can go hang out and do other things with them, and they won't send you a bill. So it's, um, in a lot of ways, uh, has a lot of benefits <laughs> over a professional coach. Yeah. Well, and also you can mix and match people from different groups, which for all of us who've been trying to handle the remote work, it is impossible to mm-hmm. have the same dynamic of cross-functional conversations, even on the way yep. to the break room or welcoming yep. a new employee. That's something I've thought a lot about is, you know, with all the turnover and people moving around, there's big percentage of employees who've never met someone they work with. And you were talking about, you know, you can do work that's mediocre, but if you have a great group of people, it makes all the difference. And I think we could all relate to that because you could be in the trenches, but if you're there and you're laughing and, you know, having each other's backs, it turns the whole thing around. Oh, hundred percent. And it builds a psychological safety that the research shows is what predicts performance, not the actual skill set of the people. So it's, it's such a uh, natural benefit. And you're absolutely right. What we've seen you know, working with companies around the world is that, yes, there's a big value here for coaching and there's a big value here for relationships. Um, and being able to actually build relationships across silos is one of the areas where we're seeing people are really getting a lot of value. So whether that's a geographic, whether it's gender, whether it's function, um, there's so many different silos. So like actually build those bridges is so powerful. And one of the use cases we're seeing a lot is around uh, companies that are acquiring other companies and really using this as a way to build friendships across sort of existing company and newly acquired company. And we're seeing more and more companies use the platform as just a basically core part of their onboarding process, to your point. It's like, how do you ensure someone has a best friend at work within the first three months? Like, we've basically been able to create that through this platform by putting them in coaching with each other, saying, we're both going through this, let's support each other through this new experience, which is very different than let me connect you to someone who's been here a long time to sort of show you the ropes or whatever the cliche is to actually have someone who's going through the same psychological journey as you. Like that's what actually builds like a friendship, which is what gets people to stick. Right. And there's a huge difference between like, here's your, you know, a lot of 
places do. Here's your new buddy at work who's going to go mm-hmm. with you, go to lunch. And that might be a little awkward, but at yeah. least you're in person. You can go somewhere together. If if it's, yeah. we're just going to set you up on a Zoom to talk for 30 minutes. That is so yeah. awkward if you don't have so anything awkward. to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, and you don't have a role so, and you're not sure what so, you're supposed to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? Um, and who has time? You know, I mean, that's the other thing is it's maybe not as mutually beneficial as if you're both getting something out of it in exactly. that shared experience. Yep. So I guess on the flip side, you know, have there been any obstacles to keep people from connecting? I mean, we can all have the best intentions to start programs like this and maybe never see them through. So I'm curious what kind of feedback you're getting, um, positive or negative, but just the experience of making something a little bit more you know, concrete or official to help make those connections, which I think employees so desperately need right now. Yeah, I mean, what we saw in our research is that people don't know who to connect to. They don't feel comfortable initiating a relationship. They don't feel like they have the space for it. They don't feel like they have the skills for it. So what we had to do is create a solution that would solve for all those things um, in a single technology platform so that people are connected to someone that people um, are immediately, you know, put at ease in the way in which it's set up, that we're helping to basically build the skills as they're doing it. And I think what we've heard from people is that, you know, it's basically required no training and they're able to immediately go in and even within the first conversation have, I think 78% of the time the conversations are rated as very helpful or breakthrough, which, you know, just speaks to me to like the power of just setting people up in this kind of conversation if it's guided and supported by science, like the way ours is. Um, we're seeing a lot of people doing three to five conversations on a platform, then switching to a new partner. So like every quarter, roughly, they're building a new a new friendship across the business. We're finding people typically are doing about three relationships a year um, through the platform. And a lot of them, I would say the majority of them, like 90% intend to stay connected um, and call it a meaningful relationship. And we hear story after story of people who like set up ongoing you know, monthly or quarterly check-ins with each other and support each other. Um, we've heard of like, like truly like deep friendships emerging. We've heard stories about people who like otherwise like would have not talked to each other, like actively would have sought out not to talk to each other, actually like building friendships. Um, so it's just, it's pretty amazing when you apply behavioral science to the need to build meaningful relationships at work where they're actually helping each other sort of align their work with what fulfills them. Yeah, what I find especially fascinating is, you know, in the HR world or leadership in general, we're constantly talking about connection and keeping people engaged and building relationships. And the bar seems so high and it's so daunting. Like we have to spend, you know, and do this and set up 8,000 programs. And I mean, essentially what you're saying is whether you buy a platform or you find some way to do it yourself, three conversations that are meaningful between two people can create a relationship. I mean, that is not that high of a bar. No, and I think it's, I mean, you need consistent, positive and vulnerable conversations for a period of time just to build that build that relationship. Sure. And I think that's where there's a need to have the skills to know how to actually like have a conversation because most of us have a default of just giving, wanting to give advice. And I think that's the key thing that actually like prevents relationships from like getting deeper is that the need to give advice, which is actually generally pulls people apart, not closer together. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do is help people unlearn advice giving. And active listening skills. That's also hard to teach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. Do you have any examples of, you know, organizations that have changed anything or done anything differently based on, you know, the feedback or going through some type of peer-to-peer experience? I'm curious if it translates other than just the relationships, like have there been actual changes? 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen, we did one study with one of our largest, longest standing customers and saw a 35% decrease in turnover. So just as a result of people doing peer coaching. So that in of itself is a very strong business outcome. And it makes sense. Like people who are fulfilled and have friends at work, (laughs) they tend to stay, right? So we've seen that as an outcome. We've seen a lot of anecdotal outcomes of like a, we hear all the time, like we'll connect an engineer with someone in sales and it'll spark a product idea or a process improvement. The technology could use it never would have been surfaced otherwise because someone's actually complaining as a user of a seller, like oh, I spend so much time on this administrative task. And like, well, I can build a, you know, an app for that um, in about two days. Like, do you want one? And they sort of do it on their spare time. And suddenly that person's, you know, using it and sharing it with their whole sales team. Um, so you see a lot of those, like the, those kind of pieces. We've heard stories about people identifying redundancy. They were like, Oh, like you're working on that as a group. Like there's like three other groups that are working on the same thing. Do you even know that each you're like all working on the same thing? You're like, no, I had no idea. Um, so you hear those kinds of stories. You hear stories about um, the ability to actually build bridges between departments so that innovation's flowing um, in both directions. We hear a lot of DE&I positive outcomes of people who feel a sense of belonging and suddenly have friends at work that don't look exactly like them um, and actually have like a deep like relationship um, between each other. So those stories are really inspiring to me. But it's, I mean, you take thousands of people and mash them up in relationships. It's like so much like amazing things happen like every possible direction, as you can imagine. Yeah. And even I'm just thinking something that would be simple is, oh, I have a question and now I know somebody in a different group I can ask it to, you know, even all the way up to product innovation, but just simple problem solving and redundancies. I mean, that would be an easy sell really for any leadership team. Yeah. And it's one of the, the one that's like very um, common, but not addressed is like, if you think about there's different communities of practice often in a company, like in engineering, you might have like a product marketing, you might have an HR, like these sort of places where you're sharing best practices. The one area where we found there's like a real deficit is for managers, people managers. Like that's actually a community of people all doing the same job. It's the hardest job in the company. And there's no like peer support network to be able to sort of talk through the challenges of being a people manager, but also to help troubleshoot um, and identify, you know, what are the what are the things that are actually holding people back? Or to normalize how hard it is so people don't feel like they're a failure. They just recognize, no, this is actually hard, right? Or to be able to talk through something so that you build the courage to actually have the interaction that you need. Um, or to build the coaching skills to actually be able to interact with your team as, you know, in a much more uh, you know, uh, effective way. So we found that that population of managers is just so underserved. And this is just so perfect for that population because it is also just so emotional it's so emotional as a process on um, being a manager to begin with. Yeah. And the manager to manager connection and development and best practice sharing is a really hard one to get at and to create real camaraderie there. So that's, that's interesting. Yep. You know, another question I have is around kind of what do we keep and what do we blow up? So the workplace, I think, is feeling more complicated. Everyone feels yep. overloaded. There's a lot of burnout. You know, we've shifted and adopted and added how do we know what works and what is just more on top of more? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's, it's interesting. Like the way I've seen it emerge, especially over the last two years, is people just threw a lot of programs because I just saw people started working at home. Like people had just such different needs that you'd never thought of before. And you're like, oh, there's this population needs this, and this person needs that. And they were sort of just creating a buffet um, for everybody to like find the thing they want. But the thing with buffets is that most of the food gets thrown out, right? At the end of the day. 
um, not eaten. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of HR leaders are seeing right now are these buffets with a lot of rotten, <laughs> rotten food. And I think the spirit of that is really important, which is that every employee needs something different. But that doesn't mean having a new program for every employee. What it means is finding solutions that actually meet the pers- your employees where they are and enable them to focus on what they care about versus having the programs for every single point solution. And I think where pure coaching has really played a key role is that in enabling people to have a partner to talk through and to actually hold each other accountable for taking actions, they're picking what they want um, from you know the would-be buffet, and they're actually going out and finding the food elsewhere. So you don't actually have to create the buffet, and they're holding each other accountable to it. So what I'm seeing is more shifting from let's offer everything to let's offer the few things that actually empower people to go solve their own problems. And that that's actually what's going to make the difference. And I think that's the hard part of the next couple of years is just it's, it's clearing off the buffet and just figuring out like um, how to set people up to you know find what they need out in the world. Because most of what people need is already out there. It's just creating the right systems for um, them to have the space to go find it. That makes so much sense. And I think it's easy to just scoop up every program, every idea. We want everyone to feel included in that. Yeah, we'll give it a try. And then you end up with 20 things that you're halfway trying and not really committing to any. So maybe this is a good reminder for us all to kind of review what what are we offering? What is the utilization? And is there a way to streamline to a few things that have options within them versus having all the options in all the programs? Yeah, it's, it's options, but it really is around empowerment. And it's like creating space for people to reflect, to even figure out what they need. Because a lot of times people are presenting problems, not the actual need, right? So you need to have that layer of reflection so that people are thinking in advance and thinking through like, what do I actually need? And an accountability to actually do something about it, right? So it's, um, it's creating the right kind of environment um, that empowers people, that gives them clarity, um, and then holds them accountable to what that thing is that actually then yields, I think, that change. And it makes enables you to save millions of dollars a year because you're not having to like make sure you have a solution to everybody, which is expensive in terms of the cost of the software or training, but also for the team that you have. You've got to have people to manage all those relationships and all those systems and the communication to employees becomes overwhelming. It's like, here are 30 things to do. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to do any of them because you're confusing the hell out of me, right? If you can create like one or two things that are the portals into that, um, it makes it such a better employee experience. Yeah. I mean, it's like, honestly, if you go shopping at any big store that has 25 options of the same item you're trying to buy, I'm overwhelmed. There's too many things. And now I'm just either not going to get one or I'm going to pick the first one I see. And maybe it's not even the best one. Yeah. And I love those stories about like back in the day when someone would come over from the Soviet Union or somewhere to the U.S. and go to a grocery store and be like, there's more than one kind of bread. Um, <laughs> just completely overwhelmed by it. But, you know, and I think, I think that's right. It's we got to simplify, simplify it and help people find the right thing, but also feel like they're going to buy something they're actually going to use. Yeah, because if you have it and they don't use it, then it's not really worth your investment. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, on this topic, which is um, tangential, but like I literally just saw about two garbage bags full of food, like at exit my kitchen of like things that people hadn't eaten that have gone to bad because someone had an impulse to like grab it off the shelf. But like, it turns out you don't need that mint chutney because you're not going to make anything that you're going to use mint chutney for, even though you saw it in a movie and you're excited about it. Right. And you know, let's be honest, the same with fresh broccoli. I have high hopes for it every time. Just buy the frozen broccoli. <laughs> Brought to you by Bird's Eye Broccoli. Um, no, no, you I, know, I, we mean well. We mean well. Yes, we do. What's well, the impulse? It's that whole point about also never going uh, shopping hungry, which I don't know what the parallel here would be in terms of um, what we offer to, to people, but 
I'm sure there's something. I mean, right. It's connections are great, but there are probably some that are better, you know, especially if you have tension with another group, forcing some of those conversations in a structured, helpful way, not as a, you know, come to the floor and we're going to have it out kind of way, but (laughs) to build those bridges you were discussing, you know, that's a really strategic way that um, HR and leaders can improve their culture and make relationships better, which makes your products better, which makes the work experience better, which makes your turnover better and so on and so on. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We did it. Trash bags to beer coaching. <laughs> well, especially since sustainability is such an issue. So it's like yeah. we can we can solve for sustainability through how we eat and shop. And then we can solve for social cohesion and mental health through connection. I so. like it. We're going to lift us all up and keep moving. So <laughs> believe it or not, you know, we have come to the end of our time. But before we let you go, I always ask our guests one final question. And that is, if you wouldn't mind to share something about yourself that most people don't know. So many different things are sort of where, where, where to begin. Um, it's baseball season. So I'll share the origins of my name, Aaron. So Hank Aaron actually broke the home run record, all-time home run record, which was this huge milestone for baseball, but also for you know race in this country, the day before I was born. So the newspapers the next day were all about Hank Aaron. Um, so when I was born, that was sort of the, uh, the uh, top of mind for my dad and ended up getting named Aaron. So kind of a fun, a fun connection to, uh, to history and to like that moment in time. That's really cool. Do you like baseball? Did that come through as well? I am religiously, I'm like a religious baseball addict. So it was, uh, you can't help it once you're uh, connected to it that way. Seems right. Seems right. Well, that's very <laughs> cool. <laughs> thank you for sharing. And thank you for joining us on the HR Scoop. I think it was a great conversation and a good reminder for us to all try and, you know, keep those connections going and find new ones where we can. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the HR Scoop podcast. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or directly at webmdhealthservices.com slash podcasts.